thanks for tuning in to the Durban Memorial Baptist Church podcast. We're a group of sinners saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and here you will hear the Word of God. It is always a great honor and a pleasure to be here at the Word of the uh, studying the Word of God together as a church and. Uh, the study of the Word of God has been very refreshing to me lately in a, in a world bent on muddying the waters and relative truth. I'm so thankful to have biblical truth. I'm thankful that there is one source of life-giving wisdom and guidance and it's in contrast to all those other life-sucking voices and media outlets that wish to influence our lives. The word of God is good for us. As we discussed last week, all of the word of God is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness that we may be complete, uh, equipped for every good work. We all need to know and grasp on the most basic level that all of us have a problem. All of us have a problem. We can look around the world and we can understand that things aren't exactly right. David mentioned a little bit of that as he was showing the the motivation for that song that they sang. We feel discontentment in our circumstances. We see friends and loved ones that are struggling with ailments and disease. We see disasters hit our friends just west of here. We're not satisfied in our jobs, in our homes, or with our technology. Even those who have just about everything you could possibly imagine want more. Don't believe me? Well, turn on one of those reality TV shows that follows around those famous people. Actually, in good conscience, I can't recommend that any of you go and watch the Kardashians, but the point remains. In those shows, you're going to find people who have every physical desire met that they could ever have, and yet they are not satisfied. That's the true reality of the human nature. We are never satisfied. C.S. Lewis wrote, and he, he, he said, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. The human desire for contentment and soulful satisfaction is real. It's a desire that all of us experience. And we try to satiate that desire with a lot of different things. I believe that's why the commercialization of Christmas is so popular. People want to experience hope, peace, joy, and love. And so they fabricate those emotions, those feelings, those things that need to be satisfied. They fabricate those experiences with holiday traditions, gift giving, fairy tales, and even charitable works. None of those things that I just listed there are inherently bad things. They're not 
bad. They just don't fully satiate the human desire for contentment and satisfaction. That's probably why we go from December, which is the month in which John Hopkins Hospital reports that we see the fewest reports attempted uh, and fewest new psychiatric uh, appointments in December. So mental health is at its lowest in December, at least at John Hopkins uh, uh, Hospital. And then in January, that's known as the most depressing month of the year. So we go from the lowest uh, need for mental health services to virtually the highest in just a matter of days. Of course, there's other factors at play in this, but this shows me that the world's use of holidays to lift the spirits of people may have some temporary value, but it's not lasting. It's like trying to open up a can of SpaghettiOs with a spoon, if you've heard me tell that story before. I'm not going to do that today. The desire for spiritual contentment is real. It says in Ecclesiastes that God has put eternity into the heart of men. We want to be eternally fulfilled But the world only offers us temporary fleeting solutions to that desire. And like drug addicts, we go back to the source of temporary satisfaction time and time again. But each time the effect is less. And in the back of our minds, we know that the cultural worldly solutions aren't enough. Implicitly, we all know. Even the most self-confident among us know that we can't satisfy the desire that is etched upon our souls. So thanks be to God that Jesus said this. He said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that may have life and have it abundantly. Christ provides the solution to our eternal problem. Christ came to satiate our heart's desire for eternity while the devil, the ruler of this world, will only steal and kill and destroy. Christ came to give life and give it abundantly. That's why God's word has been so refreshing to me lately as I mentioned earlier in the beginning. God's word reminds us and points us to the factual Jesus who is the actual savior. Over 4,000 years of human history were pointing to the coming of the promised savior. For 2,000 years, we've been looking back at his first coming while simultaneously looking forward to the second coming. We celebrate Christmas because in Jesus, God stepped down from heaven to be our glorious hope, to give us life and life abundant. Of course, salvation comes through the substitutionary death of Jesus on the cross for all those who believe in him. But that act of grace had to start somewhere. For us, it began really in a dream to Mary or in an angel talking to Mary and then that savior being placed in a manger. In our text today, we're going to look at the details we're given in God's holy word about the birth of Jesus Christ. We're going to see what this passage tells us about God and what this passage tells us about us through Joseph's reaction to everything going on. So if you haven't already, please turn to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. Today we're going to begin in verse 18. 
Last week, we saw many expressions of God's grace seen in the lineage of Jesus. And the main point that we saw was that Jesus was, is the legitimate king. Is a legitimate heir. His lineage is traced back to David, whom was promised to be given a king that would reign forever. Jesus' link to David proves that he is able to claim such a position. God was true to his promise in giving Jesus to be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Now, I just want to throw in an interesting little side fact here that I came across in my studies that... Uh, Because of the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, there are no genealogies left in existence that can trace the ancestry of any Jew now living back that far. Why is this a big deal? Well, one commentary says, for those Jews who still look for the Messiah, his lineage to David could never be established. Jesus Christ is the last verifiable claimant to the throne of David and therefore to the messianic link. So the lineage that we looked at last week established the royal human connection to God's promise. Today, we're going to see the miraculous divine root of Jesus. He is both the son of David and the son of God, and that is why he is the promised savior, the only hope in our world of darkness. So let's look at this divine nature. Start with me in verse 18. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. In this verse, we discover a great deal about God. And we're going to kind of break this down phrase by phrase. It says, in the beginning, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. I don't want to belabor the point because I talked about this a lot last week. But it's a big deal for Jesus to be called the Christ. It's a big deal. That word means Messiah, anointed one. In a six-letter word as simple as Christ, there is profound meaning and audacious claims. In referring to Jesus as a Christ, Matthew is pointing out to all the readers of this gospel that Jesus is the promised Savior. All the Jews would have been looking for the Savior to come. And well, he says, here he is. This is him. I want to implore you to think about the meaning of Christ when you think of Jesus Christ. It's more than just a last name. It's a title. A title for which Jesus is the only one worthy. In Revelation we're told of a scroll upon which is written the judgments of God. It's sealed seven times and an angel proclaims in a loud voice to all in the scene. They say, who is worthy to open the scroll? And so they look all over heaven and earth and no one is found worthy to open up the scroll containing the judgments of God. Look at what John, the writer of Revelation, look at how he responds to the fact that no one is worthy. Right there in verse four there. He says, I began to weep loudly. Because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. He's weeping because no one is able, no one is worthy to open this scroll. This is similar to the Israelites. They were looking for a true king, the Messiah, the Christ, but no one was worthy. No, the Savior had not come. And then look at verse 5 of Revelation 5.5. It says, and then one of the elders said to me, weep no more. 
Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, is the Messiah. That is Jesus Christ. He is worthy. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He is the promised Savior who would come from the line of David. When we realize who Jesus really is, when we realize that he is more than just a fairy tale put together in a book of stories, when we realize that he is more than a man, when we realize that he truly is the worthy Savior, the Christ, then we are consoled in a way that is similar to John in that verse right there. We can weep no more. We found the Savior. We understand the one who is worthy. We don't have to rely on ourselves to carry the burden anymore. We realize that we are unworthy, but the Christ who lived, died, and rose again on our behalf is worthy, and we are not. He is worthy. Let's return back to Matthew here in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So first in this verse, we see that Jesus is the Christ. He is worthy to be the Christ. He is the only one who would ever be worthy. Next, we see the divine nature of his conception. Last Sunday night, we saw that being betrothed in that time meant uh, legally bound together. They were uh, legally bound. So even though the marriage has not yet been consummated there in verse 18, we're still on. Uh, in verse 18, uh, Mary and Joseph are legally bound together. And that will play a big role in what comes up in just a few moments. So store that in the back of your mind. But so while they are bound together in a legal contract to form a new family, but before they came together in one flesh, Mary is found to be with child. And it says conceived of the Holy Spirit. It says from the Holy Spirit there. Uh, this is where we get the term, the miraculous conception. Now that's not to be confused with the immaculate conception. That's a false doctrine that states that Mary herself was free from sin at the moment of her birth. But as you see in her song, like we looked at last week from Luke, she was in just as much in need of a savior as all of us here today. The fact is that God in his perfect timing decided that Mary, who was betrothed, promised, legally bound to Joseph, would be the mother of the Messiah. This would be a shock to Mary because even though she was an imperfect sinner, she also sought to honor God through personal holiness. She was chaste. She clung to her purity. When we read in Luke about the angel telling her that she would become pregnant with the Christ, she is confused because she has kept herself from any impure relations. That account proves that Mary's pregnancy was not from some other man than Joseph. One commentary said, but Mary's virginity protected a great deal more than her own moral character, reputation, and the legitimacy of Jesus' birth. It protected the nature of the divine son of God. Had Jesus been conceived by the act of man, whether Joseph or anyone else, he would, could not have been divine and could not have been the Savior. If that were the case, if there had been some other man, 
Everything else that we would have seen in Scripture would have been a fanciful fabrication. All the miracles, fake. The resurrection, a sham. The virgin birth is essential to Christ being who God's word says that he is. But this is a hard pill to swallow, so bear with me. Let's look at the next verse and see Joseph's reaction to Mary. It says, And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quickly. So, Joseph catches wind that Mary is pregnant. We aren't told if she talked to him or if he found out from somewhere else, but because of his willingness and desire to keep everything quiet, I think it's likely that she's the one who told him. And just take a second to think about how that conversation went down. Now, I'm speculating here, but we see in Luke that an angel appears to Mary and tells her that she's going to bear a son. And I would guess that Mary, being an honest woman, told Joseph what had happened. That an angel appeared, he's going to bear us a son. Or he's going to bear us, uh, or the God is going to give, a, give me a son. But it went about as well as you might expect. Joseph's like, oh, okay, so you're telling me an angel told you you're going to have God's baby. You say you didn't cheat on me? Yeah, okay. That story that he would hear would admittedly be a wild story. If that was a conversation that he and Mary had, he didn't believe it. Verse 19 says that Joseph resolved to put her away quietly. But before we go past here and where everything gets kind of settled, I want to point out just a few things that we can learn from Joseph's response to what seemed at the time as truly devastating news. Matthew records that Joseph was a just man. It says, and her husband Joseph being a just man. The Greek word there is dikeios, dikeios, and it means just or righteous. Joseph was a righteous man. He was not perfect, but he was a man that sought to do what is right by the Lord and right by others. We'll talk about how the situation changes for Joseph in a few moments, but it's interesting to note that in the miraculous encounter Joseph had with the angel that we're going to see in just a moment, that Joseph was never rebuked for doing the wrong thing. The angel didn't say, hey, you shouldn't have done that when he was contemplating this. He didn't say uh, 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 that, that Joseph was in the wrong. Scripture tells us that because Joseph was a righteous man and he did... Uh, not want to put his betrothed wife to shame, he was going to divorce her quietly. Joseph followed righteous moral standards. He obviously didn't approve of infidelity. He did not want to let Mary think that infidelity was okay. So he would put her away. But also being a loving and a just, righteous man, he didn't want her to be put to shame. He didn't want to drag her out into the public eye to be ridiculed by the rest of the community. So on a very practical level, Joseph models an appropriate way to confront when someone we love is found in sin. I want to say, Christians, born-again believers, it is good to seek righteousness. It is good to seek to honor God. Now, I am not talking about uh, uh, the commonly confused self-righteousness. It is good to seek God through righteous living. It is also good to address sin in yourself and in those who are close to you 
when it's done out of a true fear of the Lord and not to make yourself be propped up. Look at what Jesus says in Luke 17. In Luke 17, he says, pay attention to yourselves. And if your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. We're called to examine ourselves, distance ourselves from temptation, and to help those we love do the same. We don't want to drag them on the coals in front of an audience to make them look bad as, uh, and make us look good by proxy. Righteous rebuking isn't done for personal benefit. It should always be centered around giving glory and honor to the one who is worthy. Joseph wanted it to be known at that time when that's what he thought the facts were. He wanted it to be known that infidelity was not okay. But he also didn't want to make a spectacle of the situation. But as we see in the next section of verses, it's a good thing that Joseph acted calmly and cautiously because boy, would he be wrong in this situation. Look at verses 20 through 23. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. As Joseph was considering what he must do because he wanted to honor God and live a righteous life, God stepped in, and God stepped in in a big way. In all truthfulness, this is really the message of Christmas. While humanity was mulling about, God stepped in. He speaks to Joseph through a messenger, an angel, in Joseph's dream. And what the angel says in that section tells us a whole lot about God. First, in the front half of that section there, the angel says, Do not fear to take Mary as your wife. That which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So God is revealing to Joseph That the situation before him is not the immoral debacle that it appeared to be. He is confirming that this is truly a miracle from God. And this is a good thing. Joseph doesn't have to fear about participating in this marriage, in this relationship. He doesn't have to fear about dishonoring God through uh, staying with Mary. Rather, it's an honor to be the earthly father of God's son. Joseph would be the child's legal father and would have the honor of raising this boy. Then the angel points out just how significant this child uh, will be when the angel tells Joseph the name there in verse 21. It says, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. See, Jesus is a form of the Hebrew name Joshua, which means Yahweh will save. We see another man named Joshua in the Old Testament. He would be the one to take the Israelites into the promised lands. His life points to the salvation being in the Lord, but no one in scripture could have lived up to such a name as did Jesus of Nazareth. The angel proclaims to Joseph that this child would not just save people by bringing them into the promised land, but he would save people from their sins. He would not only testify to God's salvation, but this child, this Jesus would be that salvation for the people. Through his life, death and resurrection, he would save his people from their sins. 
words. So the angel proclaims this to Joseph. And then we get a bit of an editorial note in the second half in verses 22 and 23 there. We get a bit of an editorial note. He explains the connection between the virgin birth of Jesus and the prophecy that was given centuries earlier. Those words found in verses 22 and 23 are from uh, are pointing us back to uh, Isaiah 7. If you're following around, along in our Bible through a year plan, that was yesterday's reading and I didn't even plan that. <laughs> it just worked out together that way. Uh, but when you're reading that section, Isaiah is telling King Ahaz of Judah and really the rest of Israel uh, that, that even though the nation is going to be punished for sin, even though these other kings are going to come in and uh, rule over them, even still God will preserve the line of David and a Messiah will still come. That Messiah will be known by being born of a virgin. When it says that his name will be called Emmanuel, that is used as a description or a a title of who that man would be. And Matthew explains that that title means God with us. Jesus is the incarnate deity. He is fully man. And while that is true, his virgin birth proclaims that he is fully God. He is full, fully divine. Before we look at how Joseph responds to this message from the angel, to this revelation here, take a moment to think of the grandiose nature of everything going on here. Joseph, a righteous man, was ready to leave the woman he was legally bound to. He wanted to protect her from extra shame, but he couldn't stand for infidelity. So God steps in and sends an angel to speak to Joseph in a dream and explain why he needs to stay with Mary. The angel shows Joseph that the child is not illegitimate and explains the honor that it would be to be the legal father of this child. The virgin birth is a lot to take in. There's a lot going on here. It's almost unfathomable. The late Larry King once talked about the historical figures that he wanted to interview. One of those that he mentioned was Jesus. This is what he said about why he'd like or what he'd like to get from that interview with Jesus. He said, I would like to ask him, I would like to ask Jesus if he was indeed virgin born. Because the answer to that question would define history. Larry King lacked the faith to see what was right in front of him in the word of God. I understand how outrageous it would seem that Mary would remain a virgin and conceive Jesus. I know that Joseph also thought that such a claim was unbelievable. And then God stepped in. And look at how Joseph responds In verses 24 through 25, it says, When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took his wife. He knew her not, but he knew her not, uh, until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. If you want to know why you should believe that Jesus was born of a virgin, look no further than his foster dad, Joseph. Joseph had every legal right and even the intention to put Mary away and to walk away from the whole thing. He could have said, I don't have time for the drama. I'm out. 
But something changed. God revealed to him the gravity of the situation he was in. He saw that this child was truly a blessing. He understood the higher calling to look past the social castigation that would come, all the snickers of all those in their uh, community, and to be the earthly father of the Son of God. Through Joseph, we're given the information we need to confirm the virgin birth. And let me tell you, Larry King was on to something. He said the answer to whether or not Jesus was born of a virgin would define history. Well, Jesus was and it did. Everything in history points to the need of the anticipation of the coming of the life of the death of the resurrection of the second coming of and the salvation through none other than Jesus Christ. He defined history. We like Joseph need to know that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the savior. That changes our perspective on everything. Look at how Joseph responds here in verses 24 and 25. It says he did as the angel commanded him. He took his wife. He protected her chastity until after birth. And he called the child Jesus. Such a simple yet profound walk through there. Joseph heard the word of God through the angel. He believed that the word of God was true. He understood the significant need for a savior and he responded with obedience. God doesn't have to speak to us here today directly through an angel because he's provided us with his word. In his word... We are exposed to the reality of our sin and our need of a savior. His word shows us that Jesus is the only promised savior. Fully God, fully man, the perfect sacrifice for our sin. The word of God tells us that if we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that Jesus is savior and Lord, we will be saved. So now let me tell you, you have heard the word of God. So like Joseph, Will you believe the word of God or will you reject what you have heard as some fairy tale like Larry King? Needing more proof. You can search and search for proof, but it's all right here. Right here in the word of God. So again, I ask, you've heard, will you believe? And if you believe, Will you obey? If you've known Jesus as your Savior for a long time, never forget the importance of obedience. Dive into the Word. Seek to honor Him. Steward this life that He has given you for His glory. If you're just now today beginning to see Jesus as the promised Savior that He is, obey by publicly professing Him. As Savior, you can come forward during this next hymn of response. Jesus calls us to show our faith to men in front of men. Come forward today as a bold proclamation 
that you believe Jesus is truly the promised Savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather this morning. Lord, we thank you for sending your son. Lord, we thank you for the obedience that we can see in Scripture, that we can model after. But most of all, we thank you for showing us salvation through Scripture, showing us our need. You gave us the law to show us how we fall short of the glory of God. But you didn't just leave us there. You sent Christ to be the perfect sacrifice to cover our sins, to die in our place. Lord, I pray that if we have understood the gospel, if we have heard the word of God, that our response would be as Joseph's to obey, to publicly profess you as Savior and Lord, to seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, not on things that are below. Lord, may we serve you and proclaim you in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Durban Memorial Baptist Church podcast. If you want to find out more about our church, you can check out www.durbanchurch.org. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Or you can give us a call or text to 859-813-0369. Also, you can shoot us an email at brad at durbanchurch.org. Have a wonderful day and God bless.